world's largest love machine, Viscera. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and ho 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 and welcome to the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet Christmas special. And they say be careful what you wish for. We have pestered Stephen Wilson for years, almost harking all the way back to comments I made on the best hardcore champion show in October 2018 and an absolute piss take that me and my guest did on the Crown Jewel show of 2018 <laughs> because who wants to talk about Crown Jewel? We wanted a Viscera show and Gary Kernahan, Stephen Wilson has absolutely called our bluff here. Happy Christmas everybody. <laughs> um, as if 2020 can't get any, do anything more to you. We get a Viscera special and this show's coming out on the, my birthday. What a 38th birthday present this is <laughs> for me. And this show has been like a, it's like a, it started off as like a small snowball Ross rolling down a very, very, very big hill. And at oh. times it felt like, uh, you know, a very steep one at times because we've had to push. But gradually we've built momentum and the momentum's built and the people have spoken and we've got what we want. We have the first ever Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Christmas special, I believe, focusing on the man and the legend that is King Mabel and better known to many of us as Viscera. Yes, yes. Um... Coming out on your 38th birthday, and what better present for White Inch's largest love machine than Nixon <laughs> <laughs> Fraser Jr. special? Oh, gee, I don't even know where to start here. Well, we just we just start at the beginning and work our way on. Absolutely. What do you remember the first time? You're obviously a good bit younger than than me, Ross. Um, so in the early 90s, I was sort of going through a period of watching occasionally WWF so I had a period you know I hadn't watched for a period of time and joined in but which time men in the mission were a thing so uh, subsequently then sort of you know once I got some VHSs and so on and borrowed some off my mate that lived next door that kept up with things uh, learned about this new tag team that had appeared in the scene um, the first match was the first time I seen them wrestle was at Survivor Series 1993, but they were a wee bit of a break at the time for WWE because WWE has not been very good with any sort of racially inspired stereotypes, and you had men in the mission who were like a, a more positive motion, um, and and the first time I seen them wrestle, it was, uh, as I mentioned, it was the Survivor Series 1993. They were a surprise entrant. They took part in the Five Star Classic Ross, which also featured uh, the bad guy team of Bam Bam Bigelow, Bigelow, sorry, Baston Booger and the Head Shrinkers going up against the the Doinks, which didn't include Doink the Clown. It was uh, Doink Butch, Doink Luke, Doink Mabel, Doink Mo, all of them wearing um, Doink the Clown face paint uh, and so on. And and our man Viscera that night was was to go on and eliminate Bam Bam Bigelow and Baston Booger. Baston Booger, like my God, I don't think I've seen a more disgusting <laughs> individual in my life. Oh. <laughs> Do you yeah, remember what Baston Booger's finisher move was? 
Uh, I unfortunately do, but I've just eaten a Rustler's burger, which um, tells you all about my diet. Uh, I'll is let you explain. Is it a move that I think it's a move you have taken many times over the year, years, Ross? It's a move I've given unwillingly to people and looked <laughs> to HR about, but... Um... <laughs> so, yeah, Baston Booger, who... Um, wore ring attire that was not particularly fitting to a man of his, his body shape. <laughs> he would sort of position himself, he would stand over his opponent who was at this point lying flat on their back looking up at the lights, he would stand over them and drop to his knees so basically, basically his balls would hit on your chin and and he would um, he would then pin you but by that point I think you're probably grateful that the three count is is come and your yeah uh, your nightmare is over by that point. But yeah. Ross, I think you touched on this one in a previous show. You wouldn't have thought that at this moment, the first time that the future Hall of Famers that were Vistara and Rikishi came face to face. Yes. Um God, I'm just I'm just thinking about what you said about Bastian Bigger and unflattering ring attire. Trust me, we're going to come to unflattering ring attire when we get to the Big Daddy B years. Um, <laughs> yes, on Ross's retro review. Remember, that was a thing. Um, myself and Nathan reviewed the 2000 Royal Rumble and there is a showdown with Viscera and Rikishi. And here, by the way, like, for as bad as Viscera is in ring, See when Rikishi is in the ring and Viscera's music hits and he comes out and the crowd see him and they realise that it's going to be two big men thrown down. They all go, oh. And it's like, it's as if all the energy is sucked out of the arena and then put back in because the crowd go mental. <laughs> two Wrestling Observer Newsletter award winners. They won <laughs> the Wrestling Observer Newsletter award for worst worked match of 1993. No. Yes, unfortunately so. Yes, Dave Meltzer, not a what fan of Viscera. What does he know? He's I know. a fraud. I know. Absolute fraud. But um, you talked about um, how WWE aren't very good, even to this day, with gimmicks that involve any other race that isn't white. Um, so they were originally in USWA and PWF as the Harlem Knights. They were a heel tag team. Uh, it was still, it was teaming with his, so he, we went under Nelson, Mo went under Bobby, and they were heels. However, they were changed into rapping positive role models. Essentially that to me sounds like, do you remember when you were at school and they used to get Christian rock stars in? to give you, the, give you the good word on the guitar. Um, you'd hear a big shred on the guitar just met with, he is my saviour. That, that's basically the gimmick they had. They were, um, <laughs> they were based on a Spike Lee th- film, I think. I can't remember. I'm going to make a comparison that probably anybody listening to this podcast never thought they would hear. And it's probably something I thought I'd never say. But this gimmick that they came in with, Kinda of reminded me a wee bit when I was, you know, I I I watched a lot of these matches in preparation for for today. So you're a I've better only, man than I. I've only I... just worked up after the Strictly Come Dancing final as well. Um, but it reminded me a wee bit of the New Day when they yeah. first got packaged in this sort of preacher gimmick. 
Whereas back in 1993, the world was a what's a it was a different place and people actually embraced it whereas in the new day they got booed at the building <laughs> but, yeah, um, I love you talking uh, about the Royal Rumble uh, sort of back in 2000 because back in 1994 there was a similar moment when uh, Diesel, Crush and Bam Bam Bigelow were in the rings and and Mabel came out to make it the, the four big men that were in the ring and I had the same sort of reaction and oh, you know the period we're about to go into Ross, uh, WWE is still plagued by by the the steroid uh, scandal, and we're moving away from from champions and main eventers that looked like they were on performance enhancers, and I don't think that is one thing that you could accuse Mabel of. <laughs> Yes, yes, we're starting with the body shame and early here, folks. But in fairness, if you've ever seen me after the shower, I've got tits as well, so I'm allowed to make fun of them. I wasn't funny. <laughs> I was, you know, you, 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 play with, you play the hand you're dealt. <laughs> Christ, do you think when he made love to his wife, she motorboated him? <laughs> well, I um they were they debuted as African American men trying to make positive changes in inner city neighborhoods, and they were given a rapid manager called Oscar. It's it's one step forward, two steps back with WWE. It's like you read that gimmick and you're like, that sounds really good. That sounds that sounds like they're going to make a difference. And then it's just what's a black person stereotype? Right, let's just give them everything. And also, Oscar was a horrendous manager. He was getting, he was distracting them all the time. He nearly got him disqualified at SummerSlam uh, when he slapped Jeff Jarrett. He just, you don't do that. The referee was looking right at him. He was a horrendous manager and rightly got turned upon uh, at a further point. But yeah, he he was hopeless. He, he's he's rapping was all right. Well, on Oscar, we'll just we'll touch on him once more and then we'll not mention him again because he is a mere footnote in the glory that is Viscera. In 1995, when the team turned heel, Oscar actually asked to be written out of the storyline. He said that he didn't want to manage another African-American team that were portrayed as thugs. He, he liked the fact that they were they were portrayed as faces. And hey, up and down America, they got face reactions. You know, say what you want about the wrestling ability, they were they were over like nobody's business. And that's what he liked about it. He liked that it was an African-American tag team with a bit of a different gimmick and that they they were faces, were getting cheered and the fact that they turned heel, he didn't have any interest in managing thugs. He'd seen that gimmick before and decided just to retire from wrestling altogether. Mm-hmm. So, a wee bit sad when we talk about how he was a rubbish manager on Storyline, but the real life implications of why he retired are a wee bit sad. But he did manage them to, a, and I say this in quotations, a tag team title victory. At WrestleMania, um, <clears throat> WrestleMania 10, men in the mission defeat the Quebecers by count out. They don't win the belt, but then the crowd go mental, forget the rules about wrestling, and Mabel and Moe stand in the ring with the belts. And like the commentator do not mention this. No, not at all. I, mean, I, I watched this match back recently. I always hated the Quebecers as well. Um, but men in a mission, they were they were over the pop they got in Madison Square Garden, and that is not an arena that is notorious for having an easy crowd. They they were super over, 
and uh, you know, this was back in the era as well that you know entrances weren't thought through in the way they are now. But they had the men in the you know the men in the mission gimmick was over. People were waving their hands. They were chanting along with them. They they were they were really over then. And you you're right about the the celebration. There was a kind of but the way you know men in the mission had the, the belts and were running about the ring with it. At no point did anybody really sort of correct do anything that correct you know the referee didn't try and grab the titles off them or anything like that so i could imagine the crowd you know people in the audience might have been forgiven for um for assuming that they had seen a title change now in this era wrestlemania 9 was particularly guilty for it wwe would have big shows that would have lots of non-finishes to them uh it's just something i i don't think we'd really see you know, you wouldn't see many count out victories at Wrestle you won't see many count out victories at WrestleMania thirty seven coming up. Yeah. Um but you know, in saying that, you know, there was a couple of things about this match, you know, uh, that I wanted to give give uh, Mabel some some prep for. He took a a, a double suplex off of uh, off of uh, the Quebecers here. He the Quebecers deserve more of uh Oh yeah, graceful lifting visitor. But we're not here to talk about them. <laughs> the Mountain Christmas Special 2021. I'm telling you now. You heard it here first. He had a spinning heel kick as well, and they did the, the finishing move that that they had was was kind of cool. It was kind of like uh, it reminded me a wee bit of Heavy Machinery's Trash Compactor type of deal, where Mo, Mo would jump onto the visitor's back, and then that combined weight would would literally crush their opponent. Um well, it's another he, fat man with a failed push. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was WrestleMania ten, but you know we didn't get to see them with the titles then, but they did get their hands in the title Ross a short while later. It's nine days later. Um they won the title at a house show in London, England in the most the most Mabel way possible. One of the Quebecers forgot to kick out, so the referee counted the three. <laughs> I don't think he forgot to kick out. I don't think he could get up. <laughs> you probably took that trash compactor move. I've got a sausage dog. I'd struggle to lift that thing off me if it falls asleep on me. Get in and try to get missing it off me. Aye. So for the people in London thought they were seeing this momentous moment only for oh, he corrected two days later. <laughs> The people of Sheffield have still not recovered. Have you seen Sheffield? An absolute uh, shithole. People, uh, people talk about the impact of the of the strike and the, the steel industry in Sheffield. This was the thing that had the biggest impact on, on the people of Sheffield. They've never recovered. He defeated um, Pierre again in mid-1994. Um, Pierre of the Convectors, that is, in the qualifying round of King of the Ring 1994. But the world was not ready, not yet ready, eh? not yet ready for King Mabel as he went out in the first round uh, to IRS. But that led us to possibly the greatest SummerSlam match of all time, the ch- 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 chosen one of WCW Jeff Jarrett <laughs> against the chosen one of the people, the original people's champ Mabel, 
in a rap versus country match at SummerSlam 1994. And what WWE was doing here, I mean, they get criticised a lot, Ross, and for, for short-term booking. This was them planting the seeds for a long-term story here. They were just testing the water with them and, you know, testing them for the first time in the King of the Ring tournament. And lo and behold, a, a year later, what would, what would happen? But yeah, cunt versus cunt. Oops. <laughs> Country versus rap. Um, it was, you know, was was not the greatest of matches, um, and this was the match I, I was blaming Oscar for nearly get, getting Nable disqualified. Then he was clearly screwed when when Jeff Jarrett got the pinfall. And in this what match, Ross, he, his shoulder was up as it was when IRS pinned him in the King of the Ring. So that's twice that he was screwed by dodgy dodgy officiating. Yeah, but really all. That the the main standout or highlight from this match for me was was seeing Mabel do the Jeff Jarrett strut. A sight that um, sight that lives only in memory now because I'm not I'm not trying to describe that. <laughs> <laughs> My God, more ripples than the tide. But um, <laughs> in 1995, as we mentioned, um, the turn to you. It was after losing a. Uh, tag team title match to Jobber, Bart Gunn and the greatest wrestler of all time, Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn, Christmas special, Christmas 2022. You heard the good first. Mabel and Moe brutally attacked them. Shortly after, as we mentioned, Oscar didn't want to be affiliated with that gimmick. So they beat him up to solidify the heel turn. And he was given, he was given a massive push. As you mentioned, this was right about the time of the steroid trial. The, the aftermath is still there. You know, you see guys like Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Owen Hart getting big pushes. You see guys like Mabel who are big, but clearly not steroid big. He's clearly not a, mm-hmm. not a protein shakes and steaks sort of guy. And he wins the King of the Ring. Just It's sort of out of nowhere, Gary, because as you mentioned, they tested the water with him in the country match. They tested the water with him, you know, it, as a special attraction. But then just sort of out of nowhere, he just he wins King of the Ring. Yeah, which is odd because um, in the first part of 20, uh, 1999, I mean, they weren't even on the card uh, at WrestleMania 11, for example. So they really out of nowhere. He qualifies for King of the Ring by beating Adam Baum in less than two minutes. So completely squashes, squashes him then and then goes on to win King of the Ring. And Ross... It is really just the natural progression of life here. King of the Ring 1993, Bret the Hitman Hart, one of the greatest of all times. King of the Ring 1994, Owen Hart, again, one of the greatest of all times. How do you follow that in King of the Ring 1995? Well, you strap the rocket rocket onto onto Mabel. If you want to make a main eventer and a future champion, King of the Ring was the way to do it back then. Yes, it was a natural progression, as you said. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Um, King of the Ring 93, 94, 95. Um, It was a weird one because, as you mentioned, there's some surefire Hall of Famers and current Hall of Famers in that tournament. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people uh, criticise this King of the Ring uh, show. (laughs) But when you look back at the brackets for the eight people that were in the tournament, Hall of Famers, Kama Mustafa, uh, who'd go on to be the Godfather, HBK, Yokozuna, the Road Dog, 
two people who may never make the Hall of Fame, uh, Bob Holly and Savio Vega, and the future Hall of Famers, The Undertaker and Mabel. So six Hall of Famers out of eight, that's that's pretty impressive, I think. A wee side note here, um, they talk about the great 30-year career Undertaker had after recently retiring at Survivor Series. My God, he went through some shite in the 90s, didn't he? Oh, the big style. I mean, he, he, deserves, that, he deserves that Hall of Fame. Uh, the things, I mean, who, he, who he pissed off along the way. Um, but, you know, of all the accolades The Undertaker will have, um, King, winner of the King of the Ring is not going to be one of them. And uh, in 1995, that was his first uh, entry into the King of the Ring, and he uh, a pinfall defeat at the hands of Mabel. Of course, of course. Um, Undertaker actually famously wore a mask for a short time in um, 1995 after being injured by Mabel. Uh, he broke his orbital bone, and for those of you that haven't seen it, it was a grey version of the mask Kane currently wears. It just kind of covered his face and eyes and went under the, che- uh, under the cheekbones. Um, not the first time <laughs> Mabel would injure someone and we'll get into, into more of that shortly, but um, they didn't completely abandon Men in a Mission. Son Mo, as he was now known, became King Mabel's manager because, <laughs> because clearly they had faith in Mabel's wrestling ability, but not his ability to talk in a mic. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. On that one, Ross, um, do you know the final of the King of the, this King of the Rings show? I think Mo deserves a wee bit of credit for the the promo he cuts at the end. I mean, there's so many things about this King of the Rings show. You know, Vince McMahon. I've got to say, listening back to some of this, he was fucking horrendous in commentary. He he is unbelievably bad. He described Mabel when he was entering for his match to the Undertaker as an exceptional athlete. Um, Jesus Christ. This might be a heartbreaker for people that have forgotten King of the Ring 1995 and if this match had gone ahead people's memory of the show might have been different. If Shawn Michaels had been able to defeat Kama in the first round we would have had a semi-final match of Shawn Michaels versus Mabel. Now that's that's a, a Wrestlemania match that never happened. Mr Wrestlemania versus Mr King of the Ring. Yeah, we could have had could have had that. Um, the Brett, it took Bret Hart forty six minutes to win his King of the Ring. Abel won that one one this year in eighteen minutes, so he handily took part of them. And it reminded you know during the the, the final against Savio Vega, the fans were chanting ECW. Presumably, the type of action they were seeing reminded them of the type of product they were seeing in ECW. There was no other reason for them to do so. Uh, Mabel hit from the second row a flying elbow drop, which was almost Macho Man esque. <laughs> you know? um, at the end, um, I mentioned Mo's uh, promo. He, his promo got genuine heat, I think. When he was cutting the promo, and you know there was lots of garbage being thrown, the type of thing that, uh, the type of reaction that uh, you know, nineteen ninety six when Hogan turned heel, people sort of lauded this reaction. The crowd, people were pelting rubbish down. You can see when you watch it back, the security in the audience trying to find the folk that he thrown stuff, throw them out. And then we had this classic bit at the end where the good guys, supposed good guys, were leaving. 
the arena, Razor Ramon, Savio Vega, the one, two, three kid. They were threatening to to attack uh, Mabel and Mo, but they were easily held back by three referees and an elderly WWF official. <laughs> you know that probably hold me back. You know, <laughs> you clearly didn't want to get a hold of them all that much. <laughs> um, he's all. We talk about um, history. Uh, we talk about WWE history and then um, what it meant for actual history. Um, he was the only King of the Ring winner to be given a championship belt. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. If you Google King of the Ring Championship, he was awarded a title, uh, but it was never going to be seen on TV because Vince McMahon didn't like the idea of having a title that wouldn't be defended. Ironic considering some of the champions nowadays hold the titles for six months and have three defences, but you know, that's neither here nor there. The um belt as well. Yeah, it, well that's that's what gets me about money in the bank. Money in the bank tends to be defended once or twice a year. Why not have the money in the bank winner have a title? It's a lot better looking than holding a bit of lunchbox. But um the title never made its way to WWE TV, but we do we do lament WWE for um making Mabel champion. He was the first African American King of the Ring. I don't, but there wasn't another King of the Ring of African American descent until Booker T in 2006, 11 years later, and there's only ever been two African American King of the Rings. So, although not a great wrestler, it is some. It did force WWE to become a bit more, bit more diverse. It's just a shame that this is who it was. Yeah, I mean, it's not really commented on, especially when you watch the show. Um, I mean, when you, I think it's SummerSlam, Mabel references one point when he's in the ring that he was going to be the first black WWF champion. By the time you think of the championship belts, we had at the time the WWF championship, which, uh, you know, until what Kofi Kingston, I think, was uh, was the first African American champion. The Intercontinental Championship, which was a big deal at the time, the first African American to hold that championship was Bobby Lashley. Uh, the tag team championships, the first black uh, tag team champions, I think, were in 1983 uh, when um, Tony Atlas and uh, R- Rocky Johnson won the titles. So, um, the fact you know, men in a mission winning the tag championships only for two days, Mabel winning this uh, King of the Ring, whilst the King of the Ring uh, is mocked by many this year and it's not regard, highly regarded in terms of a pay-per-view. It does, uh, it does have a place in history. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, is, it is sad just to think he doesn't get that recognition because it, it is quite a bit, especially 90s WWF. Like, we talk about current day WWF. 90s WWF was still very much the, you know, we, we mentioned why Mo retired, sorry, um, Oscar retired, because he didn't want to be in another African-American thug tag team. So th- it, it was a big deal. And he does become number one contender for the WWE Championship at SummerSlam. Um, I think they, after so many injuries, they just sort of gave up right before the match took place. Um, David yeah. Boy Smith began to turn heel. Um, he actually aligned, I believe he aligned with, what do you call it, with Men in a Mission shortly before SummerSlam. That's right. Uh, he turns heel on, um, on Diesel. 
he then they then sort of get into a mini feud while the feud for SummerSlam is building between Viscera, sorry, with Mabel and uh, Diesel. And th- this is the problem. See, people like Kevin Nash and <laughs> Viscera, who have had so many gimmick nicknames, you're like, hey, Kevin Nash, no, it's Diesel at this point. Hey, Oz. Uh, <laughs> and uh, credit to Diesel because he was nearly paralysed in the match with with Big, uh, big Mabel. Um, Mabel does a sit-out <laughs> sit out dive right on the small of Kevin Nash's back. Um, he, so a bit like, and I mentioned Earthquake splash earlier on, you know, Earthquake, when he would do that, he would sort of drop, you know, he would never leave, he, his feet would land on the ground and then he'd bring his rear end down. So it was a controlled landing. Um, and you never got the full weight of the earthquake landing on you, whereas in this instance, Mabel just legs went straight out like Bambi and ice, and he landed full force on on Kevin Nash. That was I've seen I've seen shoot interviews with us where Kevin Nash mentions during the match, he was telling him like, "You've got to loose, you loosen up, don't be so stiff, um, stop stop using all your weight. You're a big guy." And then literally five minutes later, he just sits down, split leg, as you said, Bambi on ice, full weight on the smaller Kevin Nash's back. Kevin Nash says he screamed out in his head, Jesus, but in real life, nothing came out. He was winded for about five minutes. Vince McMahon actually wanted to sack uh, Mabel after this and credit to uh, Diesel. He's turned around and said, don't sack him, you know, I'd hate to see someone lose their job. We'll just call it one of those things. It's not ballet out there. Yeah. Fair play, because when you hear stories about 1996, Shawn Michaels, he was not afraid to threaten people's jobs and throw his weight about. Kevin Nash just seems to me, he's a lot of stick, but he just seems like a guy who wanted to earn as much money as possible by doing as little work as possible, and yeah. don't we all? I think, um, you know, when you hear of stories from the road over the years, Viscera Mabel, from the sounds of things, wasn't one of these people that would actually partake in things. He would uh, often allegedly return to his hotel room to watch some porn. <laughs> uh, you know, so he was not, uh, you know, he was probably somewhat inoffensive to folk. He, um, if this had been somebody, you know, that was more on the nerves, then maybe in this instance, Kevin Nash would have gone gone to bat for him. And it proves to show because we have a pay per view immediately after SummerSlam, and he went from being in the main event of SummerSlam, which at this time was was the second paper top pay per view of the year, to then not even being in the card, and then the month after that being in a sort of throwaway, thrown together match of it as well. But this time, um, it's probably worth just reflecting, you know, we're in an era, Diesel was a pretty ineffective champion, um, and it was, you know, you watch this match, you see the difference uh, in Diesel going against Mabel when you've got somebody who's a big man that doesn't know how to work against another big man, and it was a really poor, it was a really poor main event. Uh, and particularly, you know, uh, there's some other good matches on that card here. So, uh, surprisingly, the audience in the arena didn't shit all over it. Um, but it was a it was a poor match. 
Yeah, um, I'm just reading here, um, after what you said, people that earthquake in Yokozuna would perform the move in a manner that very little of their body weight comes in, but Fraser would kick his leg, Nelson Fraser would kick his legs out and didn't allow himself to stop before the impact. Uh, apparently he'd injured eight colleagues before, I <laughs> said in the interview, he injured eight of our colleagues before the match. He injured Samu, the future Rikishi, and Kevin Nash says it's not easy to injure a Samoan. That should have been a red flag right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it mentions Vince McMahon was going to fire him. However, like Kevin Nash did stop that. Um, he moved into the feud with the Undertaker, as we mentioned. He injures the Undertaker in that feud, um, and that sort of sort of just spelled the end for Mabel in the WWF. He um, he was beat in a casket match by The Undertaker in your house five season beatings. Um, and then you go, he was let go. He had... Uh, he appeared in the Rumble and then he was he was gone not long after that. Yeah, his final three matches of the, uh, of the Mabel run. Um, he was on a New Year's Day edition of Raw. He lost in eight seconds to Diesel in a SummerSlam rematch. Uh, he then lost in a rematch on Superstars to The Undertaker, uh, another casket match, and then was third eliminated by Yokozuna in the 96 Rumble. Um, sort of started not with a bang but with a whimper. That comes to mind when you see the end of Mabel's run. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, to go from, you know, 1995 was a bit of a roller coaster year, nothing at the start, and then you win King of the Ring, you beat Razor Ramon, or you pin Razor Ramon in a tag team match on your way to SummerSlam, and Razor Ramon was a tippy top guy at the time. But you're in the main event of SummerSlam, it looks like the, the company's strapping a rocket to you, looks like you could be a future champion. And then um, you know, slowed you know a rapid decline there. I mean, honourable mention for the Survivor Series team that he found himself on that year. They were going up the Royals, going up against Team Darkside. Team Darkside was Undertaker, Fatu, Savio Vega, and Henry Godwin. And what? Listen to this team, Ross. The Royals were Mabel, Jerry the King Lawler, Isaac Yakum, the Kane. And uh, a guy called Hunter Hurst Hel- Helmsley, whatever happened to him? Yeah. You see, when you said he was on the team of the Royals, I was waiting to keep going, and it was the future Kane, it was Triple H, and it was Princess Diana. <laughs> Diana was over in the 90s, it could have happened. Oh, absolutely. Aye, so 1996, he finds himself, finds himself out of the WWF, and and we'd have to wait till uh, 1998 before we'd see him in WWF again when he did a, a one-night return to face the new King of the Ring, Ken Shamrock. And he clearly made an impression because he, he, you don't have to wait that long for him to then come back onto onto the main roster. Yeah, uh, we'll touch on the, the return and the transformation into Viscera in a wee second, but uh, you're wearing a Christmas hat because it's a Christmas special. I'm wearing my Wolfpack NWO shirt uh, for a very special reason. Um, there's been conversation since the 90s. Um, it's came into the forefront again recently with the podcast 83 Weeks with Conrad Thompson and Eric Bischoff. Um, Viscera apparently was 
one of the names batted about for the third man in the NWO. Third man was obviously Hulk Hogan. Um, you, know, you and I have, have joked on previous shows like, oh, the landscape would have changed forever. Um, I don't think NWO would have even get started had uh, Mabel been the third man, especially not after, you know, summer of 1996. He's almost a year out of the title picture. He's a year removed from winning King of the Ring. He's not exactly the uh, the best choice to be a third man. Uh, Dave Meltzer says it was almost a cert. Eric Bischoff has absolutely rubbished it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would tend to believe Eric Bischoff's account of the story. Um, could I imagine WWC, WCW being interested in signing them at that time? Absolutely, I could believe that they were interested in signing them because they signed basically anybody that had a WWF connection then. Um, the old stories were that uh, if Hulk Hogan didn't do it, Sting was going to be the third man in it. Um, uh, you know, what, what could have been? Um, Ross, I don't know. Um, uh, we, we've got quite a lot of content uh, and contributions made for today's show uh, on our community Facebook page. Yes, these were uh, posts you made after watching the Strictly Come Dancing final and a few Chardonnays deep. Yes, yes. Um, I got some free margaritas that night as well, <laughs> which was pretty nice. Uh, my wife went to collect uh, an order we placed at a local restaurant and the restaurant handed us some margaritas and she came home saying, did you order some margaritas as well? To which I said no. So, you certainly drank them, didn't you? Oh god, yes, well, well but there's no point taking them back because they wouldn't have been, you know, COVID regulations. Exactly. They wouldn't have been able to pass them. They wouldn't have been able to pass them on. So on the the community page, I'm just looking for it, Ross. There's so much content. I don't think we've ever had a <laughs> a, a topic which has generated more interest on our um, our community page here. Probably you tagged them and demanded an answer. <laughs> that was really passive It didn't work in all of them because uh, Stephen Wilson still not commented on where does Mabel, oh, sorry, where does Viscera rank in the list of greatest hardcore champions. Um, here uh, we asked David Campbell what if Mabel had been the third man uh, in the NWO rather than Hulk Hogan. He said he believes that they'd still be around today, as would WCW. Might have won the one that it was. Uh, it was Sean R. Smith that was the one that made the comment about as with WCW. This guy, uh, I don't know Sean Smith, but he seems like a a, um, a very insightful and intelligent man. He also said that much like Jake Roberts, such charismatic performers like Viscera and great ring technicians don't need the belt to get over. I wonder the outrage um, if in modern day, much like Keith Lee, Nelson Fraser was sent back to the Performance Centre for training. I imagine the reaction would be much the same as the Keith Lee scenario at the moment. Oh, people would be burning stuff now. People would be <laughs> on the street if that had happened. They'd burn the Performance Centre to the ground. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah, Sean Smith also said if, if WWF had rightly put the belt on Nabel at SummerSlam 1995, the Monday Night Raw would have been over before it even begun. A shame Nash had to use his backstage politics to ensure the coronation didn't happen. 
just because he wasn't on the same level as Mabel. He was only three inches shorter because of Mabel sitting on his spine. Probably, here we go, this is an interesting point here, Ross. Probably similar politicking from Nash that stopped Mabel from being the third member of the NWO. He knew that Big Viss was more talented and ultimately would more over than him and he could not allow that to happen so maybe that's why he never became the third man because Nash put the kibosh on it well I mean it certainly um, certainly does both thinking about but I don't know you I'd quite like Nelson Fraser on my team because it means he's not sitting on me <laughs> yeah he never sat in ball <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got more there for the comment section or we'll leave it for the end Oh, I'll come back to the rest of them at the end, I think. Oh, yeah. um, and his time away from the WWF, uh, he wrestled for the Puerto Rican-based World Wrestling Council from 1995 to 1996. He feuded with Carlos Colon, the legendary father of Carlito and Primo Colon, uh, and the uh, uncle of Epico. Uh, he won their universal title uh, from Colon, only to lose it back a month later. He returned to Tennessee to wrestle for the United States Wrestling Association um, and he captured the USWA Heavyweight Championship in March 1996 and here, there you go, when we talk about North American champions we can talk about Adam Cole, Ricochet, Keith Lee and Viscera, Viscera the North American Heavyweight Champion in February 1998 and he also we mentioned ECW being chanted during his King of the Ring match. He, and on November 1st, 1998, Mabel made a one-night-only surprise appearance at Extreme Championship Wrestling's November to the Member as a full-blooded Italian member attacking Tommy Rogers and Chris Chetty until fellow, fellow super heavyweight Spike Dudley chased him off. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That is a match I wanted to see. He was a Paul Heyman man. He was a Paul, Paul Heyman, Heyman guy. Um, he appeared on the pre-show and the Royal Rumble show itself. Uh, he took out, I believe he took out one of the headbangers. Yeah, um, Bosch got, got robbed of his place in the Rumble and uh, Mabel. Could you imagine, this was in the day before we surprise entrance were really a, a thing. You know, it's now more common now we expect at least two or three surprise entrance into the rumble. The people in nineteen ninety nine surprise entrance, you know, you know the pop then. You imagine if that had been now? I mean, to just drown out the edge pop. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, the fact that he's no longer with us. If it happened now, it'd certainly be a surprise entrance. Um, well, be, that, that would be. You know, I wasn't meaning quite that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So he returns in the Rumble match, he's eliminated, and then he is kidnapped by The Undertaker, Bradshaw, Farouk and Midian. There is a great, there is an absolutely great moment in this match where Stone Cold's been taken out of the Royal Rumble. Viscera is getting flung into the back of a boot. A man is being kidnapped by four goths, and Austin and Undertaker just look at each other and then continue about their business. Is that? The sort of look you give your neighbour when he's taking pins in in the morning and you're going to work, just morning. It's just you go about your day and nothing more is said. Nothing to see here. And that was all that was awful in so many ways, Ross, because 
when Mabel entered the rumble, he cleaned house. Mm-hmm. Dan the Beast Seven out, Steve Blackman the Lethal Weapon out, Tiger Ali Singh out, the legend that is the Blue Meanie out. Road Dog came in and he wanted nothing to do with Mabel and for whatever reason ignored the big man, went straight for Edge <laughs> uh, and eliminated him. Really, the, no no logic whatsoever. Surely you, the rules of the Rumble are that two wee guys team up against the big guy. I, I've no doubt that if he had continued in that Rumble, Mr McMahon would have been giving him that £100,000 uh, sorry, a $100,000 bounty that he put on Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's why Stone Cold uh, turned a blind eye to the kidnapping. He knew actually deep down the Undertaker done him a favour. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the next night on Raw, he was reintroduced as Visitor uh, and began acting as a Ministry of Darkness Enforcer. What sort of brainwashing was the Undertaker doing? In any time I've brainwashed people, it's taken more than 24 hours. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that, Gary. I'm going to make sure you not touch that. <laughs> you don't secrets away, are you? No, absolutely not. You'll forget all you heard. You'll forget all you heard. Um, I imagine they maybe just took him to the cat house. Let him, <laughs> let him maybe... He was too underdressed in the cat house. <laughs> um, you asked the question. You actually tagged Kwaku Aji in the post. Kwaku, who do you think could make working in a full-length leather jacket work? And this is this is the, the Nelson Fraser I remember. This is my first introduction to Viscera was a WWF sticker book in the year 2000. And he was on it and he had such a, a unique look. This is when people are talking about like, People talk about in-ring work and how, you know, a thousand flips and 16 Canadian destroyers. Nelson Fraser clearly couldn't do that, but he had a unique look about him. He had the, the leather gear, he had the white mohawk, he had the white eyes. It was such a distinctive look that he couldn't help but stand out. You know, say, say what you want, and there's many times over the years where people have been given gimmicks, which aren't great and they bomb and then there's a lot of guys that are giving gimmicks that aren't great but they make them work and if you look back over over Viscera's career Men in the Mission they made that work whilst his his run was less than stellar he certainly threw himself into it um, and threw himself into that character the Viscera presentation you talked about he, he looked creepy as that, and you know, I can't wait till we talk about it. The world's largest love machine, he certainly put his all into that. And Big Daddy V. Um, I don't want to know what he put into the world's largest love machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, but he certainly made the, you know, he certainly uh, gave it gave it his all with some of these things. And uh, when he debuted his Viscera, um, you know, for most of 1999, he, as you said, he was that enforcer role, wasn't he? He was part of that ministry versus corporate feud, and then became part of the corporate corporate ministry. Um, so he was, you know, there was a lot of, you know, it's it quite a stellar lineup with some of the folk that were involved with it, and he was a big part of that. Um, the year 1999, he teamed with Midian a few times. Uh, going for the tag titles, never really 
never really had a moment um, where it seemed like oh, this, this has been worthwhile bringing him back. This is going to be another King Mabel moment. We talked about the Royal Rumble 2000. He was only in it for about two minutes before the next entrant came in. Um, oh, in fact, you know what I forgot? And it is the greatest, the greatest piece of commentary ever. <laughs> um, he weighed 499 pounds. At Armageddon 1999, he teamed with Rikishi in a super heavyweight team versus super heavyweight team match against the Holly Cousins. <laughs> and <laughs> JR says, Visser is a couple of Cinnabons away for 500 pounds. And when Jerry Lawler goes, Cinnabons, he goes, yes, now you know what I had for breakfast. <laughs> Jerry Lawler and JR talk about JR's breakfast because it's more interesting than Viscera and Rikishi. And you talk about, the, we talked about the recklessness in the ring. The finish of this match comes where he attempts a spinning heel kick. By the way, he gets some height on it for a big man. But Peter Crouch in the air. And he, <laughs> he takes Rikishi out allowing Rikishi to be pinned uh, and the two of them then just have a wee like, squabble back and forward. Um, in a wee minor feud with Kane in 99, nothing much to talk about. But he did have another super heavyweight showdown, No Way Out 1999. He got involved in the May Young Mark Henry love triangle where he gave May Young a splash. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Mae Young for doing everything possible. For doing everything possible to get over. We talk about Mark Henry's salmon jacket. Mark Henry is wearing a lovely shirt at No Way Out 2000. Go back and watch it. It's absolutely lovely. It looks very dapper. Looks ready for a night out. <laughs> uh, I remember, uh, I think it was Bob Ray Dudley told the story about when he powerbombed Mae um, Young and him being terrified about it. And when he had him and Devon had to beat up Mula and May, and they were told that if they didn't make it look good, that Mula and May would step sit up and wouldn't sell their shit. <laughs> the Mark Henry Visser match went a whopping three minutes and forty-four seconds. Um, some of JR's commentary back in this era was classic because there was uh, there was some line that you know a couple of years to come. Where he talks about, um, you know, this is not going to be a technical masterclass. <laughs> you know, and these little bits of shade along the way, which were probably not great in selling the product, but were just utterly hilarious. <laughs> There's a line and it comes in 2005 where Viscera teams with Trish to take on Kane and Lita, and Jerry Lawler said, Viscera's the only man whose bathtub has stretch marks. <laughs> But um, we go on to WrestleMania 2000. Uh, Viscera is in the hardcore open match, um, the 15 minute hardcore open match. I'm looking at No Way Out 2000 here on my notes there. <laughs> WrestleMania. Oh, uh, I love this match, Ross. That was probably one of the only good things of this WrestleMania. He was with Bradshaw, Farouk, Funaki, Joey Abs, Mosh, Pete Gas. Rodney, Takamichi Noku, Taz, Thrasher, Hardcore and Crash Holly. Hall of Famers one and all. Um, 
luminaries that were held down by the time period. Um, he actually holds the title for a good chunk. I believe he holds it for seven and a half minutes. He wins it at abs- uh, exactly one minute and then loses it to the legend that is Funaki six minutes and 51 minutes later. Six minutes and 51 minutes is like Bruno San Martino's eight-year run with the hardcore title. I think he lost it, if memory serves me right. He climbed to the top rope for some reason and got caught and got this sort of power slam throw off, off the top rope. And, you know, um, that's a, that's, you know, that's a pretty impressive bump for a man of his size to be taken, particularly a man wearing a full-length leather jacket as well. He, um, <laughs> he was a fighting champion, but, you know, the pop in Madison Square Garden in 1994, the pop in Madison Square Garden at Royal Rumble 2000, and his amazing six minutes and 51 seconds, uh, hardcore title ring. The similarities between him and Bruno, Bruno San Martino are absolutely endless. Both kings of Madison Square Garden, both kings of their respective titles. Um, not a lot else to talk about in the year 2000 for Viscera. I'm going to be honest, we're not going to drag this on too much. No. I, I say an hour into recording. Um, <laughs> He was released from his WWF contract in August 2000. He wrestled in the UK. We were, can you imagine if ICW was a thing back then? Oh. I would have loved to have seen him in ICW. Now they would have sold at the Hydro. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Not touching that one either. <laughs> he, started, <laughs> he started working uh, some rather odd matches. He, he went back to Memphis to work for them again. Uh, Memphis Wrestling was the USWA. It had been rebranded and bought by Jerry Lawler. He began feuding with Jerry Lawler there. He then, listen to this, Trailblazer versus Trailblazer, one half of the first ever black, uh, uh, sorry, African-American WWF Tag Team Champions, Rocky Johnson, against the first ever African-American King of the Ring, Nelson Fraser, in a boxing match. Really? Yes, he lost that one, uh, but <laughs> don't worry, the Valentine's Day 2004 special for Memphis Wrestling, Travisera won a 15-man battle royal, showing his absolute dominance. He won it on his birthday. He won it on his birthday, a birthday surprise. He also appeared as the heavy for Ron Killings in 2003 in an episode of TNA. Yeah. What a, what a pairing that would make today. That, can you imagine 24-7? That'd be great. Can you imagine Vissler trying to run away from the hardcore uh, for the 24-7 title, people? <laughs> he might outrun the gobbledygooker. Oh, for Christ's sake. Um, well, he did make a one-night return uh, alongside Gangrel when Bradshaw commanded them to attack The Undertaker. Um, that was great. <laughs> he moved to Raw shortly then after signing a full-time contract. Didn't really make a lot of appearances. Aligned with Trish Stratus against Kane and Lita. Um, I love that story. Attempting to seduce Trish Stratus 
Um, well, Trish, Trish made it sound like he was onto a promise if he uh, if he took care of Kane, which he didn't manage to do. What was that? A backlash? Was it? Backlash 05, yes. Um, oh, great. I talked about the commentary for... Um, well, the commentary this uh, man is amazing. <laughs> about Backlash 05, I completely forgot. And the hardcore title match at WrestleMania 2000, I went to mention this, thinking it was Armageddon 1999, it wasn't, it was WrestleMania 2000. He's walking out to the ring, someone shouts something at him, Viscera, being in the Attitude Era and clearly not giving a fuck, gives him the middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry uh, Lawler clicks a flash goes, see, he's number one. <laughs> well, Jerry Lawler's commentary in this match between Kane and um, and Viscera doesn't stand the test of time. It certainly wouldn't get away with it today. He said that Kane, uh, Viscera and Trish's tape would, uh, from the night that was to follow, the night of passion that would follow this one, would blow one night with Paris out of the water. Uh, and then he said, what what a pay-per-view that would be. <laughs> now, Ross, how much would you have paid to watch that? Um, I'm going to be honest, I'd be paying for the Trish and not the this. Um... <laughs> but whoever pays to see the man. <laughs> I mean, he would have had the bigger tits, let's be honest. <laughs> but after this match, uh, where they lost to Kane and Lita, Stratus began belittling him, and he had a big splash. This is quite weird, this was meant to be a face turn. I don't think anyone told the commentators, because mm-hmm. he attacks the heel manager. The crowd don't care about it, and the commentary is, like, concerned. Like, Vin- uh, GR's talking, I have two lovely daughters, and if anything like that was to happen to them, I'd be worried sick, blah, blah, blah. You're like, this was made to seem like an assault. But then, it's like, no, this was meant to transition them into the world's largest love machine. Oh, I loved the world's largest love machine. See the segments he did with Lillian Garcia when he, he was, like, s- stealing her hot dog and stuff like that. It was... It was hilarious. It was so, so funny. And he was getting over with it. He was so good in that role. He, he was, clearly was having a good time doing it. But, you know, I love these music. I love these pyjamas that he wrestled in. Oh, I just loved it all. It was such a good storyline. And just when it looked like he was going to, he was going to get the girl, uh, the Godfather came out and... Uh, offered them the hose, and that was it. I just, I, for me, Ross, this this run was cut was cut short, far too short. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think had the Godfather not been a thing in two thousand, this could have been what the Godfather was. But I think WWE were sort of trying to move away from the Attitude Era, so that's why it was very stop start. Um, well, it felt like they moved away from this. You know this segment, this link up with Lillian, uh, and then had no idea what to do with them because he then went on to have sort of various, you know, nomad tag teams. He does have some memorable moments in this run and a wee bit of success. He um, so he does do the the try to seduce Lillian Garcia, uh, Vengeance in June two thousand five. Garcia tries to propose. But then, as you mentioned, Godfather lures them away with the promise of hose. 
<laughs> it competes in the Royal Rumble match. He's eliminated by Carlito and Chris Masters, but not before he dry humps poor Matt Hardy into oblivion. I mean, if Matt Hardy wasn't broken before, he certainly was after that. <laughs> and then at WrestleMania 22, he wins what was their equivalent of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. He won an 18-man interpromotional Battle Royal. Big this. He won that at his WrestleMania moment, and what a lineup we've got here. Eugene Goldust, Tyson Tomko, Rob Conway, Lance Cade, Trevor Murdoch, uh, Matt Stryker, Super Crazy, Psychosis Fanaki yet again, Stevie Richards, Johnny Nitro, Joey Mercury, The Road Warrior, which was Road Warrior Animal at the time, Simon Dean, and a guy called William Regal. Whatever happened to him? Who knows? Who knows? Probably in a war games match somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it began teaming with Val Venus. Um, but as you Remember what the team was called? It was V squared. <laughs> 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 um, teamed together for nine months, challenged for the tag titles on a couple of occasions, but never won the match. He then returned to singles action when Val Venus went down with an injury. These, this tag team, Viscera and Val Venus, the Val Venus gimmick by then, Val Venus was not in the best of shape, didn't look as young as he once did, didn't have his luscious locks, and Viscera in the year 2000 was not in this gimmick. The, this seemed like a missed off, this is ships passing in the night, it was just the wrong time for this team, I think. Yeah, um, he began a small feud with Umaga after he, after he attacked him when he was trying to reconcile with Lillian Garcia. Um, he then began a love triangle with Charlie Haas and Lillian Garcia. After Lillian decided he just wanted to be, uh, she just wanted to be friends with both of them. Oh, the Haas broke yep, the eyes of Viscera. Viscera pretended he couldn't see only to use that as an excuse to power slam uh, Lillian and then both men laughed and walked away. This was them as a tag team now and it lasted all of two minutes before Haas and Benjamin reformed the world's greatest tag team leaving Viscera single once again. That's a poor decision by Charlie Haas. Yes, um, but don't you worry because we talked about that leather coat we talked about that full-length leather coat, and if you ever wondered what was on underneath that, because I know I certainly did, Gary, you were going to be... This was the original Baskin is Glory, because, oh my good lord, Viscera, I did not imagine it would be a man covered in tattoos. No, no, I can't say uh, that I ever really wondered, you know, Oh, this, I wonder if he has any tattoos under there, but we, we all found out exactly what he had under that jacket when he became Big Daddy V and was the hired muscle for Matt Stryker on ECW. This is, uh, what, 2007 to, uh, we're into now, so we're into the sort of the last run, last bit of his run with WWE uh, here. Yeah, it's, um, th- this, I think, is as close as he got to the main event again. Uh, since the Mabel run. Uh, it was a complete repackaging. Uh, no no mention was made to the fact that he was Viscera. No mention was made to the fact that he was a former tag champ, a former King of the Ring 
Nothing was mentioned. He was a completely new character. Uh, hired muscle of Matt Stryker. He defeated the Boogeyman in their rivalry. He defeated Tommy Dreamer in their rivalry. Then defeats Tommy Dreamer to become the ECW number one contender. He then, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the No Mercy 2007 match between Big Daddy V and CM Punk. Um, it's a weird match. Viscera is in control, sorry, Big Daddy V is in control the entire match. Punk gets a small bit of offense, so Matt Stryker decides to run in and in full view of the referee, just absolutely wallop him in the back of the head. So he's, he's had poor, poor decisions when it comes to managers. It's like the Oscar situation all over again. <laughs> um, at Survivor Series, uh, he was in the Survivor Series match. I'm just going to actually see who, what luminaries were on the Survivor Series 2007 Team Viscera. I don't know if he was a captain, but he damn well should have been. Survivor um, Series, it was all, he always found himself at Survivor Series surrounded by fellow legends and Hall of Famers, so I'm hopeful that this is going to prove to be just the same, Ross. Well, he was on the losing side. He was in a feud with Kane at the time. Uh, Jeff Hardy, Kane, Rey Mysterio and Triple H defeated Big Daddy V, Finlay, Mr. Kennedy, MVP and his former rival Umaga. That's an odd team. <laughs> it was a handicap five on four match after Matt Hardy was taken out. There were a few bits just before that, Ross. Um, he, he, Scott, he, he was up the feud with CM Punk. He ended up in the Cyber Sunday poll with Miz and Morrison. And uh, he came third to them in that poll. But before that, he actually. Uh, you know, scored a couple of victories over them, including one in uh, a triple threat match over Miz and Morrison uh, on on a SmackDown episode where um, where he pinned. I think it was Morrison he pinned there. So uh, that's something for Morrison and Miz to to claim their fame with. Do you know that time when you you know you brush shoulders with somebody? Probably the way the staff. Uh, Mustafa Hassan uh, thinks about his run in with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. This will be for Miz and Morrison, their chip brush blush with brush with glory. Are you still pitched for the Strictly final last night, Gary? Jesus. Um, aye, <laughs> the highlight of his run at this point, him and Mark Henry uh, formed a team. They defeated CM Punk and Kane in a tag match at Armageddon 2007. Uh, Royal Rumble 2008. Him and Mark Henry dragged Hornswoggle from under the ring. Um, they would have killed him. And if you saw the storylines Hornswoggle was involved in going on from that point, you probably would have been grateful if he did. Oh, God. The, the anonymous general manager, the Miss McMahon's illegitimate son, the Cruiserweight Championship, I think that's something that we'd all wish we could take back. And I remember exactly. I used to get Power Slam magazine delivered every month then, and when Hornswoggle won the Cruiserweight Championship, they wrote in the magazine they may as well throw that belt in the bin. Which is <laughs> what happened not long after that. I was about to say. Um, he is actually part of a good elimination spree. Um, Triple H, when he makes his entrance at number 29, goes on an absolute tear, eliminating just about everyone. And he throws Big Daddy V out with the greatest of ease, as Booker T would say. 
But I've got a feeling um, Stephanie was instructed to rub a bit of deep heat on Triple H's back later in the night when the <laughs> adrenaline wore off. Um, <laughs> he was, he was, he main evented SummerSlam. He was this close, this close to main event in WrestleMania. He was in the Elimination Chamber at No Way Out 2008 alongside such other Hall of Famers as the great Kali, Finlay, MVP, Undertaker and Batista. Uh, unfortunately, Undertaker once again using his backstage power um, to was get the this, win. Was this the eliminate? This was the time when ECW and SmackDown were doing that talent exchange bit, yes. which I absolutely hated. Um, was this the Elimination Chamber match where the Undertaker nearly got cooked alive? Was no, that, a- that was um, 2010. The ah. World Heavyweight Title match. Um, I remember this one, uh, um, this match uh, is, was an odd one because I think it was, if I remember right, this is the first pay-per-view that you had two chamber matches and this one was the first match in the show and it felt really surprising to see the first match out was a chamber match. But you're absolutely right, this this run in ECW, what, whilst we're in the, the end of his WWE run, this, this was actually, of all things, considered actually a pretty decent run for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was the most consistent I believe he had ever been. It was the most, like, beforehand he would, like, when we were doing the retro review, I was surprised to see the fact that he was at the Royal Rumble, no way out in WrestleMania, because it seemed in his WWE career he would, he would sort of ebb and flow. He would be on one pay-per-view, then not, not the next two. Uh-huh. Then he'd be in a big match in one, and then the opening match in the other, and then not in any pay-per-views for six months. And it just, um, it, look, as much as we love him, <laughs> he wasn't the best wrestler. Well, you're um, absolutely right, because right, you think about it, he's met in the mission run, what was that, 1993 to 1994. His run as King Mabel was really 1995 yeah. there. Uh, the Ministry of Darkness involvement that was what 2004 and then he was sort of out just being there and then 2007-2008 you got this Big Daddy V run there so they're coming relatively it's like looking at the sun you know you can only stare at it for so long like a shooting star just be grateful that it happens don't be oh. sad on. Uh, I'm just looking at what he did after his time with WWE, not a lot to talk about really. Um, his final match was in Qatar Pro Wrestling's inaugural tour on October 5th, 2013, where Big Daddy V defeated Rene Dupree. Do you know, uh, there's a couple of times where promoters have brought him in, and it was interesting when you mentioned earlier on about Jerry Lawler bringing them into Memphis and Carlos Cologne bringing them into Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they brought him in and they worked with them. And that's uh, that's an interesting thing. That's something that until we sort of dug into his career, that he didn't really, I didn't remember ever happening. Um, and that's usually a sign, you know, that you know if you're bringing somebody in to work with, you know, General Lawler was the king of Memphis. He's the star of that show. That's that says something that he, he thought that that this was something that was worthy of his of his time and that they could do something with it so there is a there is something there i think as well it's um carlos cologne and jerry lawler they are of the, the 70s and 80s they were older guys who were still wrestling in their own territories they knew that bringing a big guy in 
always drew money in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. I don't think it would have had the same effect in the, the mid-90s and the 2000s, but at the same time, he got that sort of rub off of them because, pardon me, he got that sort of rub off of them because, well, they, 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 they still had that mindset for the business. Absolutely. Now, apparently, he also had a run in all Japan and secured a, a tag team championship. Yes, um, part of the Voodoo Murders uh, stable. Uh, I'm just looking at the the history. So it was the the leader Taru who he won the tag titles with. I'm just looking at the history of this uh, stable. Uh, Giant Bernard, known to WWE fans as A Train Albert and Bob Tensai. Johnny Stamboli and Chuck Palumbo, the full blooded Italians. My favourite, Bill Buchanan. Uh, D'Lo Brown. Uh, Rosie, uh, brother of Roman Reigns. Uh, Zodiac, who is also known as S.A. No, 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 it's not, never mind. <laughs> I thought that was S.A. Rios. Um, Lance Hoyt, also known as Lance Archer in uh, AEW. Lance Cade, Rene Dupree, Charlie Haas. There you go, he reunited with Charlie Haas. See, Charlie Haas is in the other place. <laughs> I'm just looking at all these people. Uh, and Devari, Devari was also a member of this stable. That's quite a lineup. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure what else to say about it. I know it's um, it's not. We are not um, Japanese wrestling experts. East East meets West with Scott and Grand. That is that is your bread and butter Japanese wrestling. They'll they'll take you through. Maybe maybe Scott and Grant and they might need to get David Campbell on the show to help them with this maybe they could do a, a show dedicated to that stable <laughs> that, I mean I mean we do know that David Campbell is the authority on newest of Japanese's pro wrestling um, unfortunately Nelson Fraser is no longer with us he passed away February 18 2014 of a heart attack uh, four days after his 43rd birthday um my god, he, he must have been popular here. I'm sorry, not to make light of his death, but his widow divided his ashes into 500 pennants as his gift for loved ones. How many people do they know? I don't know if I know 500 people that would be that interested in my demise. <laughs> uh, he was also part of a wrongful death lawsuit against WWE. Um, I believe that was his wife that put that, however, um, nothing much came of that. But let's not think about his death. Let's not think about the legal stuff that came after. Let's think about let's think about Nelson Fraser Jr., Big Daddy V, Mabel Fissera, whatever you want to call them. A dangerous wrestler who we absolutely love. We absolutely <laughs> the importance of a good gimmick and a unique look, and you can live on forever. Absolutely, absolutely. Just before our final words, Ross, shall I, shall I give some of the, the comments from the, the the Facebook community? The oh, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Facebook community. So, uh, Alan McLucas was asked what his favourite Viscera Stroke Mabel match was, to which he responded, I'll tell you on the show, to which I had to point out to him, Alan, if you can't name a match, you won't be on the show. Um, <laughs> He gave a bit of attitude back, and as a consequence, he's not on the show. Uh, but when Paisley's largest love machine will not be on the show tonight. 
<laughs> but in, uh, he did then go for the WrestleMania 22 Battle Royal. Ross, what's your favourite Viscera match? Oh, that's trying to that's like trying to ask me to name my favourite Rainbow. Um, I mean, each one's different and unique in their own way. But I'm going to go with the Big Man Classic of Armageddon 1999. Mm. Only so many people can look so good and so convincing in a loss. And Viscera and Rikishi put over those young and upcoming talents, Bob Holly and Crash Holly. And I'm sure that, I, I'm not sure what happened to Bob and Crash Holly, but I'm sure wherever they are, they are multiple time world champions. Uh, very good, uh, very good. Scott McLeod said that uh, Mabel was the greatest ever King of the Ring as well. Hard to argue. Um, yep. Jack Graham was asked to comment on uh, where Viscera and Midian, one of the greatest teams never to win the Tag Team Championships, to which he said wrestling would be a much better place, place if they did as well. <laughs> you re- referred to our good friend Kwaku Aji earlier on um, and commenting on the, the ring gear that, that Viscera wore. He says uh, The Undertaker takes his leather jacket off before he wrestles. What a pussy. <laughs> yeah. David Campbell said uh, that Viscera and Char- Charlie Haas forming the greatest tag team known to man there Scott McLeod again um, Royal Rumble 2000 featuring the greatest standoff in history v- Viscera versus Rikishi better than Hogan and Andre I mean have you ever seen the, the post Tamina Snooker put up where she it's uh, some moments in time just stand, uh, just make the world stand still, and it's like a showdown. It's um, it's Brett and Sean, Hogan and Andre, Rock and Austin, and then it's a a two minute clip of a Survivor Series match between Hud and Nia Jack staring each other down. <laughs> I would like to know where were the Viscera Rikishi standoff was in this montage. Ross, you were asked here to uh, <laughs> oh post <laughs> what would you get if someone look at you the way that Viscera looked at Lillian uh, to which you'd said my actual girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> I do get the future Miss McLeod doesn't know this this was uh, no, no she doesn't listen to these shows so I can get away with it uh, now a special mention in this show has to be made to the the men that sacrificed their life to carry King Mabel to the ring on that sedan. Uh, I think uh, there's one of the shows that has seen that there's a young Jeff Hardy carrying him to the ring, and also in some of them, um, I think Viscera deserves a, a special credit for as well because there are a few times that the men carrying them's legs almost buckled, and the people in the audience would have had. Uh, had to, uh, to catch him. I presume they would have either went crowd surfing if that had happened then. Um, there were some discussions here on what members of the team ESSR that you would like to nominate to carry carry Mabel. Ross, who would be the four people from our team that you would pick to carry, carry the legend to the ring? I mean, I mean, first off, Jack Graham. I mean, the man has the arms of Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Um, in the face of Phil Foden. Um, I mean, Strack is always in the gym, so I mean, he's been preparing for this his whole life. Nice. Um, the reason Ryan, we're all being put in the surf, isn't there? Exactly. Ryan Gallagher, you know, the toughest man in Clay Bank, he's, he's up for a challenge always. And um, you know what? I've 
if it's a punishment, I'll make Scott do it because over the years he stole many of my sweeties and just before I moved out. I, I think I would get some perverse uh, enjoyment out of seeing like four strong, three strong men and one not so strong man. So I probably would pick Alan and Kwaku because they're both both strong men there. Strack you mentioned there as well, or maybe even Derek and then Stephen Wilson because you could see you could see. Like, <laughs> see the the could you imagine? Could you imagine? I'm trying to think. Maybe height-wise, Stephen's probably closer to Quacko's height. So Alan and Derek would be at one side, and Quacko, poor Quacko, would be at the other side. Mm-hmm. With, it, with it tipping over on him, going, "Stephen, fucking hold up your end." I know. Pull your weight, boy. Sean Smith, who we mentioned earlier on, he was very active in the chat. Appreciate that, Sean. He said that it was a shame that Big Daddy V did not win the ECW title, as he would have been the archetype ECW champion and the natural successor and spirit, ethos, and style of the original company. Very nice Because it's 100% true. Uh, I mean, after Chavo and Vince McMahon, the ECW title was fair game. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. They, uh, it's up there with the Cruiserweight Championship there. Um, David Hockney, that um, ECW expert of ours, was asked, um, was The Undertaker to blame for the, uh, that injury, the one you referred to earlier on, uh, Ross, and how shameful was, was it for him to play backsta- backstage politics and place the blame on Mabel? And then in response he said, I believe he was the first victim of the Hell's Gate submission. Oh, there you go. A little bit of history. Facts there. David Hockney pulling, pulling it out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just getting choked up and emotional here about how Viscera is constantly a part of history. Well, we'll finish up with this comment. Um, Ryan Gallagher's comments of it, Viscera's place in the, long, uh, in the Hall of Fame is long overdue. Uh, I agree. So, I, I, I agree. Um, sorry, I'll just, I'll, uh, there's a morbid story I'm thinking of about. <laughs> I'll need to tell you that off air. Um, yeah. If you're hesitating, it must be bad. Yes. <laughs> it, it's not just like Nelson Fraser, it's about a, a relative of mine, but it's, uh, it can't be said on air. Um, also, I've got to say, you know, we're coming to the end of this, this show, and, you know, this, this, is, this is emotional for me. Um, because we've, we've got a decision to make. This man's been a part of our Eat Sleep Suplex retweet lives for, for a long time. He's been Over part of naturally, naturally falls into all sorts of conversations, uh, like the Till Five Life live conversations we had. He just naturally falls into them. But now, I remember um, you, I mean, breaking Kwaku Aji, making him laugh on a show is not much of an achievement, but the fact that you made possibly one of the one of the more peaceful men of the podcast, one of the more level-headed men on that 205 Live show, that man, I believe it was done over Skype, if that had been in the studio, that man would have flew for you. He was, he was not having your shit that day. I'm sure he appreciated it. Um, so, we, we've uh, spoke about the need to do this show for a long time, but for me, uh, you know, we've talked about his three runs with WWF, all of his achievements, uh, some, some, some moments. If I can put it that way, along the way. So I feel like for me, this is a uh, you know 
leaving the legend to one side now. We're going to move on into 2021 and the rest of Eat Sleep Sleeper X retweet without the weekly mentions of, of Viscera. Um, uh, it's a sad time. Um, it started, as I mentioned, as an offhand remark about how Viscera was my favourite hardcore champion. It then turned to me and you hijacking the Crown Jewel show, talking about Viscera. It then morphed even further. You went to SummerSlam 2019 and you had a Viscera section sign. Somebody stole. <laughs> I think it was security. Even in two, more security than I went even, to the bar. Even 2019. I mean, I, I think Lucy was just embarrassed. I think Lucy threw it away. <laughs> Dad, Dad, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> well, I hope we've done the man, the legend, justice with this walk down memory lane tonight and we've helped to make everybody's Christmas and 2020 has been a pretty depressing year and we hope that this little hour and a half um, has been packed full of a a few funny moments to bring a smile to some people's faces. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to quickly do the the plugs we have to do before our outro. at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community. It's an open community on Facebook if you want to come and just have a wee chat about wrestling. Who are your guilty pleasure wrestlers? Who who do you like? Let, let us know. Come let us know. We might do a special on them one day. A Mantar Christmas special is something I could only dream of. Um, or a Bastion Booger Easter special. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, Gary, I think we should get together for every holiday. I mean, I... A Hanukkah Warlord Christmas special, or like a a Ramadan a Ramadan Samu Christmas special. These are things we can do all agree of. We'll do the Highlanders on Burns Night. Yes, yes, <laughs> the Highlanders on Burns Night. <laughs> show, show, but it'll be a funny show. <laughs> it'll be quick. It'll be painful, but it will it will happen. <laughs> And remember, Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasts and sites you can find is Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, News, Reviews, Previews, and Interviews. Uh, and Gary, all that's left to say is now the end is near. And so Viscera faces the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, we've done a show, of which I'm certain. He lived a life that was full. He travelled up and down the highways. But more, but more than this, Viscera did it his way. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. This is an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown 6. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Hi, my name's Daniel Campbell. I'm the host of Quiz Showdown, and since it's Christmas time, we're going to do a Christmas special called Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. See Ross McLeod defend his championship against six of ESSR's finest in a Christmas-themed wrestling quiz where there will be laughs, hilarity, and fun. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown 6, Merry Christmas, You Filthy Animals, coming December 21st.